0: Hello, this is John Mangini, Vice President of Marketing with the New Jersey Bankers Association. Welcome to the New Jersey Banker podcast. Today, our president and CEO, Mike Afuso, sits down with Miriam Haynes and Megan Lundstrom from the New Jersey Coalition Against Human Trafficking to discuss how banks are exploited by traffickers, financial challenges victims face, what banks can do to support them, and more.
1: Thanks, John. And a very special thanks to our guests, Megan Lundstrom and Miriam Haynes. I want to start with you, Miriam. Can you tell us a little bit about the New Jersey Coalition Against Human Trafficking?
0: Sure. Thanks, Mike. It's my pleasure to provide an overview of who we are and what we do. The New Jersey Coalition Against Human Trafficking, better known to us as NJCAHT, is a volunteer run 501 organization that coordinates statewide community efforts to end sex and labor trafficking taking place in New Jersey. We aim to help communities empower residents with the knowledge of what human trafficking is, how to prevent it, and how to support those affected by it. We work to connect people. The New Jersey Coalition is comprised of over 200 affiliate organizations and individual members working together. Through meetings, events, social media, and various committees, the NJCAHT is working to bring an end to human trafficking in New Jersey. Our programming brings people of all ages together to learn about the physical, psychological, and financial effects of human trafficking and forced labor, and how they can help to prevent or end it. We also strive to educate. The NJCAHT is a survivor-informed organization that sponsors various programs and provides speakers for groups across the state to raise awareness, both to recognize the signs of those engaged in trafficking, as well as to prevent trafficking of the vulnerable. We work with key professionals, including bankers, healthcare providers, first responders, and hospitality staff to ensure they have the protocols in place to recognize and prevent human trafficking and to safely identify and treat those who've suffered from it. We are advocates. We advocate for statewide legislation that protects survivors, identify victims and reduces demand for future victims. Last but not least, human trafficking can affect anyone regardless of gender, race, age, finances, citizenship, or language, but everyone has a role to play in ending it. Please check our website, safernj.org, for what you can do to help end this horrific crime. And please, as you listen to the rest of this podcast, enter the human trafficking hotline into your phone. So if you see something, you can report it. The hotline number is 888- 373788, where you can text help to be free, Two three three seven three
1: three. Well, thank you for explaining what you do as, as a group, but I guess I should have started with this question. Explain to me what human trafficking is and the different types of human trafficking.
0: Sure. I'd like to answer this question by providing the legal definition of human trafficking and by telling you what it is not legal definition is the recruitment, harboring, transportation, provision, or obtaining a person through the use of force, fraud, or coercion for the purpose of forced labor or sexual exploitation. That's a lot to digest. It's really a mouthful. In essence, it's someone forcing a person to do something against their will for profit. And it takes many forms, such as sex trafficking that involves a person performing commercial sex acts through the use of force, fraud, or coercion, or labor trafficking, where a person is coerced into performing labor or services, including debt bondage, working for minimal wages and in unsafe conditions, and involuntary child labor. However, when it comes to minors, force, fraud, or coercion is not required to be considered trafficking. Even if minors are willing participants who are involved in survival sex or boyfriend pleasing, by law, they are victims of human trafficking if money is exchanged. Even if minors are forced to observe and not actually engage in sex, it's trafficking. And there is a mandatory reporting requirement in New Jersey. But what is not considered human trafficking? Human trafficking is not smuggling. This is often misunderstood. Smuggling is movement of people often across borders. It can be a risk factor for trafficking, but it is not trafficking if there is no force, fraud, or coercion. In other words, people feel more, maybe more vulnerable when they've been smuggled. Victims can be trafficked from their homes or in school and never be moved. Traffickers will often move victims frequently to avoid detection, but it's not necessary to be deemed as trafficking as the name may imply. A way to think of this is smuggling's transportation-based, meaning it involves the movement of people often across borders. It is voluntary in that the person wants to come to the US and it's a crime against the state. The news media often reports what is happening at our southern border as trafficking, even though much of it is actually human smuggling. Trafficking is exploitation based. It's not voluntary. And it is a crime against an individual as the victim is forced or coerced. Hopefully I've provided some insight into what is and what is not human trafficking.
1: That's that's really helpful and, and thank you for your insights, Miriam. It's uh you know it's it's important to know those those distinctions. And you know, as you said, the it gets it gets blurred by the news media. So you think Trafficking has to do with the moving of a person, but but they could indeed be a, a, an American person in a house just next door. Um, I'd like to I'd like to bring Megan into the conversation also. Um, Megan, how, how about you talk to us a little bit about um, how banks themselves can be exploited by the traffickers?
2: Yeah, thanks, Mike. Um, So as Miriam touched on, human trafficking is, at the end of the day, a financial crime, Um, and traffickers are trying to make profits. Those are illicit profits. Those are profits made um, by exploiting individuals. And so um, that money is going to flow through financial systems. Um, As a result of that. And so that can look different um, based on the type of trafficking and specific um, typology of trafficker. But as Miriam mentioned, we have here in the US, we kind of categorize, categorize things between labor trafficking and sex trafficking. And so With labor trafficking, um, you might have a legitimate business operation that has a business bank account um, that perhaps the employer, the business owner is utilizing. Um, With sex trafficking situations, sometimes you also have a legitimate business front, but you may also have individuals who are um, depositing and transferring funds between bank accounts um, that uh, is illegally earned revenue or is, um, is uh, income that the trafficker has taken and put into a business to launder it. So at the end of the day, a lot of um, human trafficking related financial crimes fall under anti-money laundering um, investigations and procedures.
1: Interesting. So give me examples of some of these transactions that are conducted by traffickers or their victims that are forced to conduct the transactions for the traffickers?
2: Sure. So there's so much that I will never be able to do all of it on um, this podcast today. But again, kind of using those differences between labor trafficking and sex trafficking, what you might see. So um, if a trafficker runs a business and is an employer, um, you might actually see a lack of transactions. So you might see a lack of payroll um, being run Um, because the trafficker is just keeping those profits versus paying their employees. Or you may see um, deductions from payroll for like food and housing and other deductions um, that are not legal for that employer to be taking out of the individual's paychecks. Um, So those are some, some pretty general ones with labor trafficking. With sex trafficking, you're also going to see transactions. So there's usually three individuals involved in a sex trafficking um, Transaction. So you're going to have the consumer, the buyer, um, and so you're you're likely going to see either a transfer out of that individual's account or a, like a cash withdrawal. Um, and so that buyer takes that money and then pays the victim or pays the money directly to the trafficker. Um, and then that money will sometimes just stay cash, but also it may go back into the victim or the trafficker's bank account from there, um, or it may just go into um, businesses. So it may be paid in cash at a hotel for a room. Um, It may be um, purchasing, paying for transportation through like a ride share company or at a grocery store to buy, you know, prepaid gift cards, um, condoms, those kinds of things. So sometimes because these transactions are so kind of broken out into different pieces, like the cashier at, you know, a Rite Aid is only going to see somebody purchasing items. They're not going to necessarily know where that money came from or what somebody is going to do with those items. And that's why it's so important for people all along that chain of financial transactions to be aware of what human trafficking is and what
1: to look for. So so I'm sitting today um, at the Jersey Shore and, um, you know, I think about our summer uh, season and seasonal employees, uh, particularly um, as you get to the southern part of the shore, often those employees um, come from European countries um, and and they come for the season. And um, I guess, how do you how do you break out a legitimate worker receiving a legitimate paycheck and perhaps with some type of wage garnishment for housing that's legitimate to labor trafficking?
0: Yeah,
2: it's a great question. And I wish there was like one simple answer, right? Um, But again, it's going to take professionals in um, banks that are aware of this, law enforcement, um, employers, um, people that are, you know, staying in say the hotel that this individual is working at or eating at this, this dining establishment or whatever, like each of those, those individuals is going to see a different piece of this. Um, and that's why it's so important. Um, and oftentimes that's the reality of why some victims don't even realize that they are being trafficked. Um, particularly somebody who maybe doesn't, um, know the laws in the US around employment, maybe it's a better option um, than other opportunities that they have access to. And so that person is going to think this sounds like a great deal, or I didn't know that my employer couldn't do these things in this way, or that I'm being charged an exorbitant amount of Um, for something. So um, not only is it important for like general community awareness, but it's also awareness and education for ourselves um, into like, what do labor laws look like? What do hiring practices look like? Um, What are our payroll and department of labor laws? Um, So much education, right? That goes into all aspects of this.
1: So, so maybe we could pivot, um, from the the financial question of the traffickers to the financial challenges of the victims. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what the the victims face on the financial side?
2: Absolutely. So my um, expertise is really around sex trafficking. So I can speak um, in greater detail to what that can look like for survivors. But um, a lot of these issues are experienced by survivors of any form of human trafficking. So um, particularly with sex trafficking, what I do know is that a lot of victims are um, forced to use their own bank accounts um, to move funds um, around, whether that's giving their traffickers direct access to that account or transferring funds to and from their bank account to their traffickers, receiving funds from their buyers. Um, And so some of those activities do get flagged by financial institutions as being suspicious for a variety of reasons. Um, And what can happen there is those accounts can be closed down. Funds can be seized or frozen um, if an individual. So a lot of trafficking victims experience forced criminality. So um, they may be told by their trafficker that they um, need to commit check fraud. Um, So write a bunch of checks and then cash them when there's no money in their account. Um, all of those things are maybe even overdrafting their account um, because their trafficker does not give them money to you know pay their um, bills and so their account becomes overdrawn so all of those things kind of those those happen not just with trafficking right and sometimes like I've recently overdrawn my account um, and I'm not experiencing force fraud and coercion. Um, so some of those things kind of just, appear in everyday transactions anyways, and can be indicators of other forms of financial crimes and fraud. Um, But as a result, some of the the bank kind of protections that are in place will flag those accounts or prevent individuals from um, being able to access a bank account at a a particular institution um, or just broadly, you know, through kind of the the checks system. Um, And so what happens then is survivors are excluded from traditional banking systems, um, which then puts um, survivors at uh, just creates kind of this like snowball effect. Right. So if a survivor cannot safely put, um, say, their paycheck after they exit their trafficking situation, they can't deposit it in a bank account. So um, they have to go to a check cashing place where then they're charged a ridiculous amount of money to cash that and then they have to carry around cash or keep that cash stored somewhere um, in their home or, you know, a backpack, which then increases the risk of that being stolen. Like there's just so many things that can happen for survivors from there on out. Um, But then related to that is also credit. There's damage to survivors credit as a result of some of these um, financial crimes um, that happen during their trafficking. So all of those things can prevent survivors from um, accessing housing, um, accessing employment, being able to get things like car notes, um, apply for mortgages, have a savings account, um, build their credit, um, and it can create an impact for decades after that trafficking experience.
1: So, so what on the flip side of that can a bank do to support the victim?
2: Yeah, that's my favorite part to talk about. So now that we've got everybody kind of depressed and and like overwhelmed with how just um, pervasive this issue is and how complex. Um, There is hope. So we have wonderful organizations like um, uh, Finance Against Slavery and Trafficking, so FAST, Um, They have their survivor inclusion initiative, and that is a place for financial institutions um, can join SII. And basically, that's a commitment to saying we are committed to working with individual survivors to find banking products and services that meet their needs that are not going to continue to create, you know, these high fees um, and barriers to accessing traditional products and services. Um, And then last year, um, there was just passed into law the Debt Bondage Relief Act, which allows survivors to contact credit reporting agencies um, to get negative things removed, I think it's like within 72 hours, off of their credit, um, and again aimed at at repairing some of those damages. So um, definitely, those are kind of the two big ways, and I know Miriam I don't know if the coalition has some other ideas um, for financial institutions as well to get connected locally.
0: So the coalition did support the Debt Bondage Repair Act and the Credit Repair Act, um, and we wrote several letters. Um, so that's that's really important in our state. Federally, mm-hmm. I know there's still a lot of. Um, hurdles to get over for a victim, but um, we're making progress. The other thing that the coalition has uh, backed is the vacature laws, because, you know, when a survivor is trying to build a credit and they have crimes against them and the crimes that were forced upon them, as Megan talked about with, um, you know, they may have to open accounts or use their own accounts um, and, and actually do some criminal... Activity with transfers. There's uh, work underway uh, to actually vacate those crimes from a survivor's record. So those are really important um, efforts. And you know, some of the the banks certainly can be aware when they're opening an account for a survivor or when somebody is still a victim, still in the life, if the pers- if there's always a person with them and they don't let the person talk or they totally control the, the opening. And this happens with elderly as well as trafficked people. So it's, again, you know, Megan noted that some of these crimes are not just for traffic, but, you know, it's really important for the bankers to keep their eyes open. And if they think there's being any force or coercion occurring, it's really important to report you know, bump, we used to say it to today, bump it up. So bump it up to your supervisor. Don't be afraid to, to ask.
1: Well, that's, that's really helpful. Um, you know, I think, I think, you know, folks, we have this, we have this strange situation in our society now, you know, if it, we, we always learned if you see something, say something. And now a lot of people, um, Place a premium on minding their own business, and um, you know it's it's very sad that you can you can either unwittingly or or you know possibly just because you you want to move on to the next person um, become a a, a a person that's facilitating this. So um, you know we we appreciate the fact that you shared the contact information with us, uh, Miriam, do you have anything else that you would, you would want to share for the average person uh, and what they could do?
0: So I think, think, sure. I'll say a few things that Megan, you certainly can jump in on this one. So if you think something's happening, like, you know, we see this at malls and, and, you know, other things, don't get personally involved yourself because you're probably not qualified right? You wouldn't want to get involved in the middle of a a trafficker and their victim, but you should have, you should call hotline. And in cases where you really think legal uh, um, law enforcement's necessary, you can call them, but the hotline doesn't, you know, is very good at helping you make assessments. So I highly recommend you pick up the phone and you call the the human trafficking hotline. And if you think that there's immediate risk to an individual, like you see imminent danger, then you pick up the phone and call law enforcement and say you're not sure, but you're seeing this happen, whether it's you know, someone in the bank or someone in your daily life at the supermarket or at a mall or whatever. Um, and that way you're not directly involved, but you are making it and you know better to have them come out and investigate and then it could save a life. Yeah, I think that's one of the 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 tough things Miriam like
2: uh when I do trainings or presentations in the community is folks want to know like how do I get involved and in, like how do I help these trafficked people um And it it is really important not to intervene in a situation that you don't have adequate training and knowledge of um, because it can cause harm to you. It can cause unintended consequences to the potential victim. You just never know. And so, again, knowing what to look for, but knowing who to reach out to. And then if human trafficking is something that really resonates with you as an individual and you want to get involved. um, I think the other piece that's really important to remember is like you don't have to. Um, Quit your job and, you know, become a social worker uh, to have an impact and to uh, take up the fight against trafficking. There's so many things that people can do. Um, I think an easy example is like marketing. Um, you know, there's there's so many organizations out there that are doing fantastic work and maybe they need somebody behind the scenes to serve on a board of directors or do some, you know, scheduled some Facebook content out for them um, or um, connecting with your local community if you're a child care provider like there's just so many ways to get involved. Um, And so if you have like a task force or a coalition like New Jersey does, um, those are some great places to really connect, to learn more and then really tap into like, what is your skill set and how can you use that um, in the fight against trafficking?
0: Absolutely. We say education is prevention. So the more education, the more likely that you will be aware of it. And the New Jersey coalition does Uh, speaking engagements uh, at no cost, Um, and we're always happy to come out and uh, speak to people and just try to educate more people.
1: Well, thank you both. And once again, I'd like to thank my guests, Megan Lundstrom and Miriam Haynes from the New Jersey Coalition Against Human Trafficking. And for the New Jersey Banker Podcast, I'm Micah Fuson.